Talk about this space. Like, what does this space mean for you? Oh, jeez. Like, talk about that. Okay. Um, well, you know, I love this space. And, I mean, of course, there's things that, you know, you know, like the dust, for instance, you know. There's, there's always going to be dust. But the building's, you know, really, really old. Um, I mean, some of the buildings here are from the 1800s. This one's newer. I couldn't tell you the exact date of it. But, you know, there's things that, there's things that work and don't work about this space. You know, like for a while, there was a leak that we just couldn't quite get sorted out. And so it, it would rain in one part. And then the floor got messed up. And then there was like a hole in the floor, you know. And so, but all that stuff got fixed, you know. Yeah. But, um... But the building itself, it's like I've, like when I reflect on all the artwork that's been made here, you know, over the years since I've been here and the experiences, I mean, like hundreds and hundreds, I've mentioned I teach classes, hundreds and hundreds of students um, have, have come through here and taken classes. I work with the high school and once a year they come for blacksmithing lessons. Uh, Waldorf High School, so they bus the students over from um, Decatur, and so eight generations of students have come here and made made work, mm. and um, you know it's like I don't really feel like moving, <laughs> and it's inevitable I, I have to move, you know. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm sure there's going to be a beautiful building here. It's going to be lovely. You know, the whole community is going to enjoy it and all that kind of stuff. And I've looked a little bit. I just haven't found a place that I, I love. And truthfully, I tried to move in here like 20 years ago um, when the older owner before Chris and Anthony um, took it on. Mm. Um, I'm drawing a blank on his name right now. But he was an older, older gentleman, and <clears throat> he was a wild guy. And... Uh, I tried to, but they like a lot of the places weren't really inhabitable, or they had stuff stored up in them, or you know, it just it didn't happen. I moved here from Boston in '95, and I love this side of town. You know, I I would say if there's any regret I have, it's like I didn't just buy a cool building, like the building that's the Optimist. That was my favorite. Mm. Um, I just thought that that was the coolest building with the big arch. Yeah. And um, I mean, I'd like to go there to eat, but you know, I always thought that would be a great. Could own it. Could, I know, I could have. I probably could have bought it for like, you know, $100,000 yeah, back 20-something years ago. No, um, millions. I'm Floyd Hall, and I'm speaking today with Karina Sephora. Uh, we are in her studio at the Goat Farm, and we're just talking about some 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 context, I guess, you know, for for where you are right now in your career, both in a very immediate sense, but also thinking about your artwork, upcoming shows, and um, I wanted to have this conversation here because I know that this space will be changing soon and mm -hmm. you will be moving. And so it was one of those moments where you wanted to, where I wanted to be able to, you know, say we did it here yeah. and not someplace else because um, I can I can tell from just your earlier comments, there is a, you know, a very strong sense of, um, of sentiment attached, attached to this place. Um, for you, so how long have you had your your studio here? Fact check. I think it's about eight years. Okay, um, and so you settled in. 
you know, and for most people who know you, um, I know you're a mixed media artist, but I mean, I think most people who, the first thing they think of when they think about you um, is you're a blacksmith. Mm -hmm. And so like, that's not easy. That's not an easy setup to move. <laughs> so, you know, as you think about transitioning from this space to another space, like what, what, how do you wrap your mind around you know, not just the memories, but like the physical, the physicality of what you do, having to pick that up and take it someplace else. Well, you know, I reflect on the, the last space I was in before I moved here. I was there for 11 years. Mm. It was called Candler Smith Warehouses when I moved in and then it changed to the Metropolitan. And now I believe it's called the Met. The Met, yeah. The Met. And so I was there for 11 years. And I was so overwhelmed about moving. I would go into my studio, I'd look around, and I'd close the door and leave. And then one day, I decided it's time. And so I had a friend come over, and I thought I'd start with my scrap metal. Why not start with getting rid of what you can get rid of? So I brought metal over to the scrap yard, and um, there's one scrap yard you can bring your non-ferrous, that's like copper and stainless and that. And so I got whatever, a few hundred bucks for the metal. And then they were like, oh, you have, so I got a job. I made them burglar bars <laughs> for the recycling place. And so the message I got out of that was, you know, when you like let go of stuff, it creates space for something new. Mm. So I'm trying to have that approach about this particular space. And, you know, when I moved in here, they were still, they were trying, Chris and Anthony were trying to have a hundred, they were trying to show the, their lenders or you know the people that were getting their loans from um, uh, for the purchase that the, that it was a sustainable um, idea to have an artist workspace they call them the white boxes and uh, so I was part of the first 100 that moved here so it was pretty raw you know um, when I moved in and so back to moving out um, what I need to do is I need to sit down and write a list of what are really like the necessary things, you know, and the things that I really want and love. And, um, you know, I have a couple of friends that have called me and they're like, Hey, I have space, come look at it, you know? And it's like, I feel like I just can't wrap my head around it. I had that big show in January and I was like, as soon as this show goes up and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm done with the push to create this work, then I'm going to start getting serious about, you know, moving. Yeah. And, you know, and then I was busy doing stuff between February and now, and now I'm getting ready for this other show that opens yeah. June 1st. And so again, I find myself being like, you know what? I just can't think about it, but really I'm avoiding it because I don't sure. want to deal with it. Yeah. So, so <laughs> will this show in June be your last show out of the studio? Um, doesn't sound like it. No, I know. I'm like, well, and the other thing I've been doing is I have these like large outdoor sculpture pieces. Uh -huh. And so I've been busy trying to like book them in okay. places, you yeah. know? So I have one that I thought was going in one show and then it was going to go into another. And I have another one that I've got to bring. I've got a show at the Southwest Arts Center, not mm -hmm. the Southwest Arts Center, the, the Aviation Center. Okay. Over by uh, um, the airport. Right by the airport. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I have a large piece that's going there because I was like, okay, the more sculpture, you know, like big things I can get out someplace. Um, the better. <laughs> sure, sure. So I, I don't have any solo shows that are scheduled between uh -huh. now and October. Um, I do have two large-scale commissions. Okay. Um, and like in the whole context of moving, like 
I, I want to buy a new power hammer. And the power hammer is one of the heavier items to move. And so the new one is like really heavy. And so I've been thinking like, you know, it would make sense in the middle of the move to sell this power hammer and get the new power hammer. And I've got a guy lined up that wants to buy this power hammer. And, um, but do you need the power hammer for any of the upcoming work? I always need the power okay, hammer. Okay, I mean, all right. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, so tell me about this upcoming show. Um, okay. I think there are some important themes that are that are bubbling up um, mm -hmm. from what I read from some of the things we talked about before. Uh, but I'd love to hear it in your words. So okay. um, name of the show and uh, what it means to you. Okay. Yeah, the show is called um, Blood of the Earth, and, you know, at first thought you might think, oh, it has to do with bloodshed, but in actuality, um, iron ore, you know, is like a strata, you know, in the, like a vein in the earth, and I looked up the, uh, the date the other day, but it, I think it was like 1200 B.C., the iron was discovered. Oh, okay, okay. Right? And so over time, there has been you know, scientific as well as mystical, you know, initially quite mystical um, discoveries around iron and its qualities and what it could be used for. Um, in some uh, historical research uh, that in uh, sort of uh, West Africa specifically um, with the Mande um, people, they would call it the, the, the iron ore was thought of as like the blood of the earth. And there were ceremonies that were created to smelt the iron ore to make it into usable metal, which is called the bloom. And so uh, there were even like furnaces. So it was, there were furnaces that were made that were sort of gynecomorphic, like, the figure, like a figure. And, you know, rituals and ceremonies in terms of like creating, you know, getting this iron to be usable material. You know, there's also scientific ways of doing it, right? Mm -hmm. And in industry, like for instance, in Birmingham, Alabama, we have one of the largest cast iron, that's already usable iron, right? That's, um, that is made into um, various different things like pre, I think it's like pre-Civil War. I should fact check my history here. But, um, it, but in Birmingham, that's one of the oldest iron um, furnaces that's still standing. There's only two left in the world. And that in the world? One, yeah, the other's okay. in Germany and this one's in Alabama. Huh. So here at the goat farm, um, there also where there wasn't smelting of iron, but there was pouring of iron. And out past where the coffee shop is, there's that where glow practices. At the very end, that's where a lot of the main iron pouring would have happened. So we've been gathering actually rocks that are um, either iron ore or like spilled, you know, um, chunks, you know, from. You know this building. This this building is here from the 1800s. So I have one sculpture that I'm slowly working on. Um, that one's giving me the hardest time actually. And um, that one's very much about the the iron that comes from the earth, and then is turned into usable metal, and then has been turned into guns, right? In in um, a lot of cases. And so for me. The work that I do in transforming the guns, it's almost like shifting the intention of that material, of the metal. I would say like kind of in a spiritual sense. And um, so I have been making flowers out of them. 
and that initially started um, after the Parkland shooting. There was an Iraq vet who came to me and he said, you know, I have this AR-15 and I, you know, dozens of people said, I need to come to you. Um, you'll do something cool and creative with it and I want you to destroy it and, and, and do something with it. I want to make a statement with it. And so, and that happened in March of last year, within a month after that. And so my flowers started blooming, my irises started blooming, and I, I saw the delicacy of those petals and the beauty. And there was the saying my mom used to always say, beauty will save the world, you know, beauty will heal the world, that was her thing. And so I thought, well, the, the pipe of the um, um, steel, of the, of the barrel of the gun is like a, a pipe of, of steel. And so I played around with, with just some steel in my studio, and then when he came, I was like, okay, we're gonna, I'm gonna try this out. I think we can make some flowers. And then it turned into this bouquet. And, um, you know, and then different things happened, you know, but part of my idea for how I, I thought of, oh, I could transform this metal, in a sense, like to set the metal free, um, in the 90s, when I first learned about blacksmithing, I visited this artist called Doug Wilson in Maine and he had these feathers hanging outside of his studio and I asked him I said could you tell me about those feathers and I was like 19 at the time and um, maybe 18 18 or 19 and I had just learned about blacksmithing and I was like mystified I was like this is it this is what I'm gonna do I love the process of heating up metal and forming it and <clears throat> he said yeah he said let me tell you about that um, those feathers he said there was a steel that was donated to me and the steel came from in town, they tore down this building, it was an old prison. And so I had all these bars of steel and I thought, well, if this was a, if these bars of steel had been a part of a prison, essentially they've been imprisoned for all these years. You know, of course, people are on the other side of those bars incarcerated, but the steel itself had been imprisoned. And so he forged them into these feathers in essence to like set the metal free. So that's kind of my intention, you know, with the steel in terms of turning it into flowers, is that it's something that I can do to transform, transform the metal. And is that a consistent theme of the work in the show? Because there are other artists who are in the show. So yeah. is everyone working in a similar theme or is it different? And can you speak on the other people on the other, yeah. you know, yeah. Yep. So a lot of the work that I'm personally doing is these guns and making a lot of flowers. I also have um, um, garden tools. And so I've done a couple of different projects at the King Center, at churches, different places where we've sort of that line from the Bible, swords into plowshares. Um, and then I've also been working with targets. Um, and I'll get more into that after I tell you about some of the other artists. So I, as I've been working on this project, I thought, you know, I have what I have to say about guns. And, you know, there's a lot of other people that have something to say. And so I wanted to create an environment for other voices and what those other voices might have to say regarding guns. So there's other artists that are involved and then there's also um, a panel discussion where we'll have different people. So let me tell you about the other artists that are in um, the show. Um, one of them is, uh, uh, Joe Perugini, and he's been doing work with tanks consistently for a number of years. You know, of course, he does his animals and you know various different things, and so um, a, a lot of his work has to do with like fallen soldiers. And um, 
and so he has a painting and a sculpture that'll be in the show. And then there's a, a woman named Maxine Hess, and I had an open studio. And uh, these people came and they're like, oh, you have to meet Maxine, because they saw some of the gun pieces. And her father had been um, murdered many years ago. And so she's been doing um, work where she uses the gun imagery. And at one point she set up sort of a living room environment installation with the Hathaway, um, Hathaway Contemporary. She's having, she has actually a fibers piece, which I'm pretty excited about. And it's, I think it's printed image on fabric. And then she also has a photograph of a detail of that installation of the, of the wallpaper. So it's, hers actually has um, flower botanicals in that, um, in the um, wallpaper um, image. And then the, <clears throat> the other one is guns in repetition. And they're kind of like pink fabric, you know, so I sort of like that dichotomy of the sort of masculine feminine um, aspects of that. And then um, Jason Kofke, he's also um, in, the, in the exhibition. <clears throat> and where I got some of the names of artists that I knew were working with um, gun imagery was uh, Dashboard Co-op did a show uh, with Marsha Wood Gallery uh, a little over a year ago. And it was, and, and, and I got to do a performance piece there where I transformed a gun into a garden tool. Um, and so I was like, I had, you know, I went there right after I had done a project. So I, um, so we looked up some of the different artists and we contacted them and specifically said, you know, we're putting the show together. Although Maxine came through other sources. And then Jason Kofke and um, Paper Frank, who I don't know really well, um, but he has some pieces that he's done that have gun imagery. And so um, he's also gonna be in the show and he's a painter. And then, um, Frank, Joe Perugini, and Elise DeFour is mm. also. Yeah. And I didn't know this, but her brother was um, murdered in a robbery mm -hmm. a number of years ago. And so yeah. she has a, a photograph that's going to be in it. And um, I feel like I'm forgetting somebody. Oh, and Joe Bigley, um, who I um, taught, well, I was his sabbatical replacement at Spelman. And then we also taught alongside each other. And then I was his paternity leave replacement so we sort of like we kind of tag team we were sort of like the relay race of um the seniors at Spelman last year it's <laughs> the best way I could yeah, yeah describe it um and he has a cast iron piece and um like this was our initial list there's one other person that I can't think of Maxine I think that that's it I'm nervous that there's one person that I've left on. There's always one person. There's always one person, always right? One and thing, it's never person. personal. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, well, say, say more about the intention of, of this show and maybe what you want people to get out of this show right now in okay. terms of the visitors, the public, the audience. Okay, okay, yeah. great, great. So before I get into that, I should say there's one other aspect, which is there's going to be a panel discussion. Mm -hmm. So the opening is June 1st, and um, we'll have a reception um, in the Sinclair Gallery, and it'll be my visual work and then the other artists. And, um, oh, you know what? It's on the invitation. That's how I can make sure. I don't want to leave somebody off. Um, I hit everyone. Great. Perfect. Um, and then the next weekend, the 8th, we have a panel discussion. And um, 
<clears throat> I, I think I mentioned that over the last couple years, I've been like doing gun projects has been kind of like a side project for me. So every once in a while, I will like a church has invited me or um, I had the, the AR-15 and then I had pictures of that on social media. And um, and then there was this group called Led to Life. And they did a big project for the 50th um, anniversary of Martin Luther King's assassination at the King Historic Center. And so um, they brought in another artist called Jim Brenner. And we had a big furnace and we melted down 50 guns and we transformed them into 50 shovels and we planted 50 trees with Trees Atlanta. And we even had soil from lynching sites. And there were all these ceremonies around melting the guns down. The first was specifically for Bernice King. And that was on the grounds by the reflecting pool. And the guests alongside Bernice King were all of these mothers who'd lost their children due to gun violence. And so um, some of them I've stayed in touch with. There's one woman, Nicole Villafane. And um, her son, um, her son was actually um, killed in a gang initiation. And, um, and she was like very outspoken. So a lot of the work was like intended as a healing process for them. And so she has been like my right hand person. In fact, she was like texting me right before you came here. And I was like, let me call you afterwards. So she has given me um, the names of a number of people who are also going to be on that panel discussion. And um, my, really my intention is to like have a dialogue, right? To have a conversation. Um, I have one other artist friend who like grows his own food and he goes hunting and he's taught his children how to use guns safely and they like shoot deer, you know. Um, and so he, I need to double check with him, but he's 90% on the panel. And I wanted to have someone who like, I would just say like has responsible use of a gun, you know, in their lives. And um, there's one person who actually was a convicted murderer and did time in prison. And this is one that Nicole um, brought to me. Um, his name is Omar. These ones are the ones I was looking up, actually. And um, we've been emailing, and sometimes when I email people, I'm like, okay, do I? I'm not like, I don't have your name down. Um, so um, he was actually in prison, and he does all kinds of work with people um, to kind of educate people about guns. And I think a lot of his intention is. When, when he was a teenager, he was 17 years old, and he was sentenced to a lot of years in prison. I think he was sentenced to 17 years, but he actually got off early. And um, and he does he does a lot of work where he coaches people and works with youth, and um, I guess we'd say like educates people. You know what I mean? Like, hey, I I got experience doing time, and you can choose another path in life. You know, that's that's the feeling. So I haven't personally met him yet, um, but he's going to be on it. And then there's another woman. Her daughter was also killed, actually, by the police. And um, and so she's going to be on it. And then there's a, a police officer who he does a lot of work. He works with the Atlanta Homicide, and he does a lot of work um, in East Atlanta. And a lot of work that he does is ar around... Um, like gangs and territorial and you know work work with people you know around like you know dealing with the dangers of what's you know what's imminent in terms of you know 
I want to say recreational, but that's not the right word, but you know, like particular uses of guns. Mm. Mm. And there's one other person that we're not positive if he's going to be on or not, but he, his, he had um, one of his parents was, was killed by one of the other parents. Um, and then I have, there's a group. It's fine, no. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and then we've got the train. There's a group that's, um, that works, it's a series of mothers, and they do different creative projects around education as well, around guns. And I have one other person that I haven't confirmed yet, but he's a vet, a Vietnam vet, and he's also Native American. And so, and then the person who's going to moderate it is um, Scott um, from Arts ATL. Scott Freeman. Scott Freeman, mm -hmm. thank you very mm -hmm. much. I was like, I'm sitting on me. Yeah. Scott Freeman. And I actually have a gun that he's brought to me that was in his family, and we're, we're sort of in this, like, standstill. You know, he's like, I'd like, you know, it's just been here in my possession, but it's so beautiful. I'm like, I'm having a hard time actually, like, disarming it, you know? So we're meeting tomorrow. Um, but in throughout all of this, I had asked if, um, or he actually offered, I think, to moderate it. So is, is the intent to have... Um well, I guess is the intent for all of these different voices because there are a lot of voices yeah. on the panel. It's, it's a very um, heavy panel. Um, what is it, what is the intent for the dialogue and what is the intent for the work? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And are those the same and are they different? Let's see. And thank you for asking this. And um, so the work for me, as I work on work, it evolves, right? And so initially, it was like, I was really like, a lot of the work is in response, I would say, to mass shootings, like my own personal work. Um, you know, I don't have someone that's like dear, near and dear to me that's been, you know, killed. You know, I could go back to like junior high school. I had a, there was a suicide, you know, one of my classmates. I still, to this day, don't know how I did it, but, you know, with a shotgun and his toe, you know, committed suicide um, so my I have a lot of response you know when there is a mass shooting and the response for me is you've seen a lot of the target pieces you know I feel like I could be a target right you being who you are you could be a target you know like one of my dearest friends you know we could say like racial profiling you know his brother was shot and killed by the police you know and um, so there's a lot of conversations out there. I don't think there's one conversation. And um, I mean, it's like I'm reflecting, you know, as I'm saying that, I'm, I'm, you know, it's like, I'm thinking back to things like, you know, the Rodney Crane trials. You know, I'm thinking like all throughout history, you know, there's all these different things that have happened, you know, throughout history. And, you know, how do we deal with that as individuals? You know, how are we affected as individuals and how do we, create a conversation or a dialogue that creates change. So, you know, inside of my intention, you know, I'm not against people like having guns ever at all. Um, I am, I do feel strongly with the type of guns that are easily available. And, you know, in preparation for the show, I, I have that one large piece that you can see with all the targets. And it started out a lot smaller, but it grew as I was working on it. And, um, you know, in that piece, it speaks to p 
Parkland, it speaks to nightclubs, it speaks to yoga studios, it speaks to temples, it speaks to churches, it speaks to like any mass of people that's in a crowd, right? It speaks to like the masses of, you know, bodies that are, you know, racially profiled and, you know, boom, you know? Um, so that piece, that speaks to like the mass, right? Like in a crowd at any time, you're a target. I'm a target. Um, so that's what that piece really is about. It's like that, it's like almost like a guttural response to, you know, how do we just like live life when, you know, these are, you know, when, when, when the, um, when Chris Purdy, the Iraq vet came to me with his AR-15, he said, you know, when I got out of the, um, you know, when I came back from Iraq, I had all these buddies and we, you know, it was, we were really just part of this gun culture and everybody got these AR-15s and, you know, that we're trained to use them in the military, right? We're trained to use assault rifles. Um, and, but the regular, uh, what do you call regular ci civilians, right? The regular civilians, you, the rest know, you of and us. me, the rest yeah. of us, right? Yeah. That aren't necessarily like military, um, you know, that's not, that's not our, what we're doing. Sure. Um, he's like, there's no reason for those kind of guns to be in, in the hands. Mm -hmm. And so as I was working on this, creating this body of work, I, I started thinking about targets. And so I started like looking on Amazon and ordering targets. I have like a variety of them around the studio right now. And I was shifting from this last body of work where I was doing all of this painting and working very abstractly. And, you know, there was something kind of spiritual in a sense in the process of painting. Um, and I wanted to have some kind of carryover into this body of work with that being in that zone. And Quickly, um, just to make sure that I'm, I'm clear and the audience yeah, yeah. and the, the listeners are, are clear. Um, As I ramble on. <laughs> well, no, I just want to make sure. So for this for this ex exhibition, did you curate this exhibition? Or, um, or was it, so I get in terms of both your work, but also thinking about all of the other work. So who yeah. kind of put the show together? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so I um, wrote a proposal to, um, well, initially I wrote a proposal to the Office of Cultural Affairs. Mm -hmm. I received a grant for Arts for Services, and I had a, a scope that I intended for the project, and some of that shifted, um, like the venue had to shift, actually. And inside the venue shifting, you know, the, the scope of the work shifted, but I always knew I wanted to include other people. I always knew there would be a panel discussion, there's going to be a live forging. Um, and between writing that grant and now there was this film that was made about me and myself and Joseph Guai and he does a lot of work with, um, with guns and gun imagery and a lot of it really has to do with school shootings. And so I had initially asked if he, when I changed locations to the Sinclair Gallery at the Arts Exchange, I asked if he wanted to do a duo show and based on his exhibition schedule and a couple of other different things, it wasn't going to work out. You know, there was this awesome film that was created that's on the Arts ATL website um, about the two of us and the work that we've been doing with guns. And I, I really enjoyed that collaboration. You know, mm -hmm. everything I've done so far, as far as projects, has been collaborative in some sense. You know, whether it's this group in Colorado that sends me people who want their guns disarmed or led to life or the church that invited me or Dashboard or, you know, it's always been some kind of collaboration. And when I was preparing for this show, I... I just got this idea, I was like, okay, if Joseph's not going to be, it's not going to be a duo show, 
I want to have some other voices aside from just my voice. Not that there's anything wrong with my voice. It's just that it's a broad topic. And I don't want to be the first and the last word. You know, I want to have, I think it's a community conversation. And my intention is that that's what it is, is a community conversation. And uh, it's funny, the police called me today asking for donations like they do projects with young kids and it was kind of wild you know um, he, they really wanted me to make a financial donation for them to get socks and shoes for kids and they said their intention was to keep kids out of like getting to gangs and you know that kind of thing and I said well listen what I'd like to do is I'd like to do a, a cult cultural donation you know and could you bring the students so the, the young people over to the studio and I'll give them a tour and talk to them about the work that I do and I said, and I happen to be doing this project with guns. He's like, we don't want the kids to touch guns. We don't want them to look at guns. We don't want them to be anywhere near guns, you know? And so I ended up having this dialogue with this police officer who really just wanted me to write him a check. And I said, and so, but then I had him look up the, the AJC article about me and um, Chris Purdy, the Iraq vet. And I said, you know, I think it, there could be something here. And so he was going to ask his uh, supervisor. But it was interesting because normally I would just be like, yeah, I can donate or no, I can't donate. But because I'm in this dialogue right now, you know, I really feel like it's a community conversation. Um, I, last week I was at this conference for global transformation and I was in this one breakout session and it was all about collaboration. And so we, that, you know, we had these, you know, to, to look at a project that we have upcoming or involved with. So I looked at this project and I looked at who am I already collaborating with and who could I collaborate with and what holds me back from collaborating to those, with those people? And uh, I realized, you know, I get this grant from the mayor's office. Why have I not invited the mayor? You know, I've met the previous mayors, the mm. previous two mayors, because of, you know, I've done projects with the city. I've applied for this grant in the past, done great projects. And I really believe in a city that funds art, right? A city that is thriving is a city that ha is alive with art. You know that's like a pulse of um, of how a city's doing. I think, and so you know we're in the process of inviting the mayor. You know, and it's and so I asked at the arts uh, cultural affairs. I was like, what's the how do you invite the mayor to something? So we're you know you get to go on their website and you do it. You know, so we're in the process of that right now. And then I started thinking, well, I've done, I've worked with the Hammonds House Museum, of course, and they're in touch with different youth groups. I've worked with the East, East Atlanta Boys and Girls Club, but I'm sure there's a Boys and Girls Club, you know, in East Point or, you know, West End that we could reach out to. So we're in the process of also inviting um, around the panel discussion and, um, you know, of course, the opening reception on June 1st and then the panel discussion on the 8th. Um, and um, we'll be doing a live forging as well. So you get to put your own energy into the material. Um, so for our listeners, yeah. again, the name of the exhibition. Okay. Where all of, all, all of the, the particulars. Okay. Okay, great. So the, um, the name of the exhibition is Blood of the Earth. And it is at um, 2148. We got these printed and they're like a little small. Hold on a second, it's right oh. here. <laughs> I'm like, what's the address? It's at the Arts Exchange. There we go. 2148, I had it, Noonan Street, East Point, Georgia. And um, yeah, we have. And the other thing we discovered is the, the weekend of the 8th is this, it's called Wear Orange. And it's all about gun awareness, like all over. 
and so you know we're some of the groups that we're hosting you know like that's you know it's going to be a great place to be to have that dialogue be there so how can our listeners find out more about you okay and all of your work okay um so my um i have a great website we're always trying to update it but my website is karinasephora.com that's um, and then, of course, Instagram, and it's karinasephora.metalartist. And, of course, you can find me on Facebook. It's Karina Sephora. And uh, you can also, um, the Arts Exchange is another great resource. And what else can I say? Say what you want your legacy. As you, as you transition from this space that we're currently in into right. a new space, what do, you, what do you want your legacy of this space to be? Hmm. Um, you know, it's interesting. When I moved here, I had certain goals around like what I would be doing with my art. And, you know, upon reflection, it's like, a lot of those are really happening. You know, I mentioned that trifecta of being able to um, create the work that I you know, exhibit, like the work that just comes from my own, you know, mind and soul, body, mind and soul, I guess you could say. Um, the commission pieces, and then the classes. And so I, I feel like I've gotten those into this space that works really solid. Um, you know, I read a lot of art history books all growing up, and I always imagined like someday there would be a, a page that I'd be in these art history books. So sometimes when I, when I think like, well, what's my legacy? You know, I want to know that, <clears throat> you know, when I'm not here on this earth anymore, there's still something that, that is left behind. Right? There's still something that people, like I know that there's an impact that was made on the earth. And so in terms of legacy, of course, you know, creating work that, that will outlive me is always something that, that's right there. Um, you know, I'm, I'm really a stand for um, women in the arts. You know, I'm really a stand for there to be a place right, and a space to create and to have a voice. And, you know, I have a side to me that really believes in um, art for social change. You know, out of, uh, last night I was at T. Lang's performance and um, I was invited by another artist, Charmaine Minifield, to um, participate in a show that she has coming up and I so respect what she's always up to, you know. So, in terms of having a voice in the arts, you know, I love being able to have work that makes a difference in terms of communities, right? For the next generation, for the community that we're in right now, you know? Karina, thank you for your time. You're welcome.